This is The Saucer Life, exploring the history and lore of flying saucers. I'm Aaron Gullius. Welcome to Bonus Encounter 2. I spoke with an Earthman. This is another bit that got left on the uh, cutting room floor, so to speak, when we were putting together Encounter 204. Nothing of it really worked as an excerpt, so we decided just to do the whole thing. So what is the thing? It's an uncredited story called I Spoke with an Earthman from the second issue of Jim Mosley's Nexus, uh, which appeared in August 1954. Think of it as an inverted contactee story, kind of. Mosley claimed, tongue-in-cheek, that the entire story was transmitted via automatic writing on the night of February 13th, 1954. I Spoke with an Earthman by Melvin Morbid, Flight Leader 669, Squad 8, Planet Mazar, Code 3. I am Melvin Morbid of the Planet Mazar. Until recently, my life was nothing more than the ordinary, dull, drab existence of a Mazarian. Since we have eliminated all social problems on Mazar and have achieved the ultimate in scientific and moral advancement, there is nothing much left for us to do except sit around and pass the time by exchanging thought messages. This can get boring after a while, as you can well imagine. And on the night of November 13, 1952, I decided to borrow my father's flying saucer and take a spin down to the planet Filth, meaning Earth. I had intended to ask my father's permission before taking the saucer, but he was engaged in a game of darts with a friend of his on Venus via transvideo telepathy, and I hated to interrupt him. So I backed the saucer carefully out of our electronic garage and blasted off. I quickly speed-shifted the controls from the fourth dimension right into the sixth, and taking advantage of a giant magnetic fault line, I arrived on filth in less than an hour. As I cruised at approximately 100 miles altitude over the area known on filth as Southern California, I noticed a knock in my electromagnetic generator and decided to land in the nearest uninhabited area to take a look at the trouble. As I descended to lower altitude, I circled around several times in search of a good landing spot. Finally, I saw a large desert area that seemed to be just right, and I lowered my saucer slowly onto the ground, being careful not to damage my three-point landing gear. Just as I was getting out my thought-controlled toolkit, I noticed a strange creature running toward me, waving its arms wildly. My father had told me of these weird, barbaric men of filth, and immediately I was seized with an uncontrollable fear. Since our civilization has long ago ceased to engage in warfare, I hesitated to use either my instant death ray gun or my U-441 atomic disintegrator, but I kept them handy just in case, because there was no telling what this strange creature might do. The man of filth approached to within a few feet of my saucer and stopped. There he was, a creature from another world. I looked him over carefully. What a strange sight he was to behold. He had two arms, two legs, and only one head. I was astounded, but trying to appear casual, I asked, Rum Earth? Yes, he replied. And you? Mazar, I explained. Oh, glad to meet you. I'm John Adamsky. No, stupid, I retorted. My name isn't Mazar. Mazar is where I come from. It's the planet you all call Mars. I could tell that I wasn't going to get far, talking to this untelepathic man of filth, and I was just about to go back to my repair job when I happened to notice his automobile, which was parked about five saucer lengths away. We do not have any form of surface transportation on Mazar, and I was overcome with a desire to see how this strange craft operated. How about a ride? I asked, pointing to the car. No, how about you giving me a ride? He asked, pointing to my saucer. 
There followed a battle of thought waves too horrible to describe. But in the end, the man of filth succumbed with a splitting headache. And the next thing I know, I was riding along in his new car, which he explained to me was one of the latest models, a 1912 Rolls Royce. Man, this car of yours is really cool, I commented. How did you learn American slang? He asked suspiciously. Oh, we listen in on your radio programs all the time, I replied. Which reminds me, I have a very important message for you. Yes, I know, he answered. You want me to tell that unless we stop using atomic weapons for destructive purposes, we are going to destroy our civilization. What civilization? I retorted. If you'd only stop trying to read my mind and listen a little, we'd get a lot further. We don't give a damn about your atomic bombs, but what I wanted to tell you was this. The singing commercials on your radio programs have got to go. They transmit a vibration of 960 octograms, which means, obviously, that they pierce the ionosphere and go right out into outer space. They're lousing up our transvideo telegraphy, our intervisual telepathy, and our psychometric audiography, to say nothing of our pseudo-auditory trajectory. Do I make myself clear? I will try to make this my mission in life, the man of filth replied solemnly. I will spread it far and wide, this vital information you have given me. Perhaps only a few will believe me, but I will do my best. Yeah, you do that, Jack. And now, take me back to my saucer, will you? You're driving so fast that you're going to knock us clean into another dimension if you aren't careful. Wouldn't you like me to take you into Los Angeles? I have a friend there at the Los Angeles Times who would simply love to meet you. You're off the beam. Those crackpots out there would give me a hard time. They'd expect me to solve unsolvable crimes to prove I'm really from Mazar, and then I'd have to show up at saucer conventions and shake hands with people by rubbing palms together and all that sort of thing. No, I think you'd better take me back to my saucer. Maybe next time we meet, I'll go to Los Angeles with you. There followed another terrible battle of thought waves, and this time the man of filth passed out, so that I had to take over the controls of his automobile for him. However, by the time we had driven back to my saucer, he had fully recovered. While I tried to concentrate on the job of repairing the electromagnetic generator, he kept annoying me with requests for some material proof that he had physically met me. Finally, he handed me a steel bar and asked if I could make a deep impression into it with my thumb. Why, sure. Anything to get rid of you. Urgh. How's this? Pretty good. You've made a quarter-inch gouge in this solid steel bar with only a touch of your thumb, and I can see at a glance that you have changed the chemical composition of the metal by adding at least 15 elements that were not present before. But can't you do better than that? Oh, all right. How's this? Urgh. Better? But why are you rolling around on the ground writhing in agony? Because I've sprained my thumb, you dumb ox. I groaned, picking myself painfully up off the ground. Now see what you've made me do? And how will I ever get this thumb fixed, since there are no doctors on Mazar, as naturally we have long ago conquered all known diseases, and some unknown ones too. A close friend of mine is a doctor. His name is William Spoon. Now my Mazarian anger was really aroused. Don't be silly, he isn't a doctor and you know it. I'm blasting off for home before you get me in any more trouble. Will I ever see you again? Not if I see you first. With my thumb still throbbing with hyperschismatic pain, I climbed into my saucer and began warming up my XK9 5000 dirge power supercharged hydromagnetic engine. As I gently eased into the atmosphere, I could still see the creature from filth standing there in the desert waving at me. For a long moment, I was sorely tempted to let loose at him with my atomic disintegrator, 
but I quickly remembered again that our planet has not engaged in warfare for at least 312 eons, so I reluctantly put the weapon away. How pleasant it was to get back to the peace and quiet of Mazar. As soon as I had parked my saucer, I quickly joined a game of intergalactical ping-pong just to get my mind off the horrible experience I had on filth. Yes, you people of filth will continue to see flying saucers, but there's one thing you can be sure of. I won't be in any of them. My experience with John Adamsky was enough to convince me that contact with the barbarous inhabitants of filth should not be attempted for at least another 20,000 light years, and maybe not even then. You might have guessed a few of the parallels here. John Adamsky is, of course, George Adamski, and his friend William Spoon, who is emphatically not a real doctor, is George Hunt Williamson, who we're going to see more of in Series 3. The date it took place, November 18th, 1952, is near as makes no difference to the November 20th date of Adamski's sighting. And uh, the name Melvin Morbid doesn't sound too much like Orthon, but we'll let that pass. Anyway, hope you enjoyed, or at least tolerated, this brief snippet. Enjoy your Thanksgiving holiday if you're in the States, and we'll see you in a few days for our final encounter of Series 2. Until next time, keep watching the skies, because Melvin Morbid is watching you.